0: Welcome back to how would you beat where we discuss how you can use jobs to be done innovation methods to beat your competition. Remember to subscribe and like this podcast. In this episode, we will look at how you could beat Steve Jobs. Why was Steve Jobs so successful? He is a legendary figure in technology and innovation. He was the founder of Apple. He was famously fired and went on to found next computers and he was came back as CEO of Apple in 1997. He's widely considered to be one of the most successful innovators of all time, depending on the day Apple is still often the most valuable company in the world. And he was at the at comp at Apple and throughout the uh, history of Apple, he's been there for major, major changes, three big ones, obviously, just the arrival of the PC and the graphical user interface the iPod and portable music devices. And then of course, the iPhone, and its cousin, the iPad. Um, but he also brought Pixar to life. Uh, he bought the company but helped make it a success. He had just a remarkable team there. Um, and Apple also bought next. So in a way, Apple is next. At its core, its foundation of the Macintosh operating system is actually a next computer. So why was Steve Jobs so successful, and how can you and your product team emulate Steve Jobs? Jared, so why was he so successful?
1: Well, I think that the myth out there is that he was a brilliant individual, who knew a lot, you know, had a, b- a background in liberal arts, studied a lot of different disciplines and brought them all together to create genius ideas and didn't care what the customer said they wanted. It didn't care about market research. He knew what was right and told his team that. That That's what you hear about Steve Jobs. Uh, to, to what degree do you think that's true, Jay?
0: Yeah, I think the first of all, he never said that he never said customers don't know what they want. He said, you have to start with the customer experience and work backward to the product, not just starting with the product idea. And it in it really foundational ways, if you look at what he was doing throughout his career, and you know, of course, he died very young at 56 uh, from pancreatic cancer, but uh, you can look at his career uh app through apple next and pixar and what he was doing was very empathetic with customers like really understanding what they wanted to do rather than just using the product <laughs> i mean even if you go back to the apple two plus which was their you know first real successful product and i remember it because my my dad bought one in 1979 and it was my first experience of computer. It was a it was a, a really high powered computer because it had dual floppy drives and 64k of RAM. <laughs> Those were the days. But it was a remarkable product. You 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 did just start typing in basic programming language directly onto the screen. It loaded up. Uh, with this with this interface which was really nice for a computer. You know, you remember you're competing with PDP 11s and you know machines that cost two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And he brought to market a twenty five hundred dollar computer that you know anybody could learn and fool around with. So um, I think even even in those early days, you could see I'm going to make it easier for people. To now, what we would say, get jobs done. Uh, but it, in starting with the Apple II, I'm going to make it easier for people to program computers, <laughs> and then, and of course, it moved on to the graphical user interface. And I think that's what's amazing. He didn't really invent everything. Uh, famously, right. he didn't invent the graphical user interface. It was you know developed uh, at Xerox Park, but he immediately saw its usefulness. So that's such an example of where he empathized uh, with people who were trying to get things done. We just now call them jobs to be done. He was just very good at that empathetic
1: with customers and realizing that they were gonna use stuff that was easier to use. Right. Yeah, I think that that um, recognition of things that could be useful uh, as far as I understand it through a book I read about the development of the iPhone Uh, he, he didn't, he wasn't the one who said a touch screen would be a great thing to do. There was a team that was working on, you know, experimental interfaces for inputting information into a computer. They identified the touch screen. They started developing a prototype. Uh, eventually he looked at it and was like, ah, this is hard to use. I don't think you guys have really figured it out yet. Um, and then they kept working on it. Eventually a phone project came to Apple and that's when they started to connect the dots. And it, it seems to be what Steve Jobs was really good at, and the development of that was figuring out what what would all of this technology be useful for, for a customer. You know, customers don't wanna input information into a computer, they, they wanna get some yep. job done out of that. And so he figured out, you know, the almost the marketing angle, you know, why are customers going to care about this uh, new technology we're developing, and the iPhone is really uh, uh, brings together a lot of new technologies: the touchscreen, uh, small chips that made it possible to, you know, uh, have memory, you know, connected uh, to Wi-Fi. There's a lot of different kind of technologies that came together to make the iPhone possible, and he saw why it could be useful to people.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's so much to talk about. It's amazing. Um, but I, on the touchscreen stuff, what I think is amazing is the, for so long, Steve Jobs kept the mouse on the Mac, even before the touchscreen, just a single button. And the, the reason he did that, uh, apparently, was not because he couldn't put two buttons or three buttons or you may remember there's these Logitech tech mouses that literally like every part of your finger and your knuckles and you can scroll and touch and multi click, you know, just this incredibly bizarre, you know, object, he kept it to a single button, because he recognized that the software engineers should be uh, pushed to make it so easy to use the software that all you had to do was click a button. Right. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, when we work with companies, we do this a lot, but this is the way you should think about your customers, you want them in order to get the job done, whether you know, when it was using the Mac, it's like drag a file or copy a file, or move a word or draw something. Uh, all those basic functions were just literally clicking a button and dragging them out. So very, very simple gestures. If you think about your product development, you um, this way as well, it it really focuses your team because you want to imagine that all your customer has to do to satisfy one of the needs you're targeting or a step in the job or even the job itself is to click a button. And if they have to do more, there may be reasons why there may be really complicated technical reasons, jobs can be very, very complex, the technology is not always there today to be able to do it. But if you track, okay, it took us 12 steps or 12 clicks, for example, on software in order to satisfy that need, well, can it take 10, and then seven, and then three, and then one, because your customers do not want to be clicking around. And that's what I think really, Steve Jobs recognized, that people have lots lives, they're they're not building computers so that you can use the computer, you have to accomplish things, you have to get jobs done, you have to achieve goals, you know, that's basically Mm -hmm. what a job is. So that the simplest path to do that wasn't is incredibly important. And I remember reading about a discussion he had when in the days when Apple had iTunes and people remember Rip Mix Burn was their campaign, they needed to get people to take their CDs and put them onto their iPods, because an iPod without music was useless, right? And they didn't mm-hmm. have the store initially. So the iPod initially was a way to take it was a tape recorder, basically, in digital form with a thousand songs. So rip mix burn and then people would burn a cd because they would also make a you know version of their cd because people still had cd players in their cars and you know yeah. whatever and you had cdrs you know which were writable cds and and the team was trying to figure out how the interface should work you know what they should do to burn it and he just looks at me He said here's what they're going to do they're going to grab the songs and drag them onto the cd on the desk that was it that was one gesture And then that forced the technology team to go figure that out. That was not a non-trivial problem. They they definitely have to write code and develop it, but now they know what to focus on. And this is such a good example of speed and accuracy. It's why we use speed and accuracy to measure everything. Because if it takes 12 minutes to rip your CD or burn your CD, whatever the terminology of the day was – that's, that's not good enough. How about one second? How about I just do one thing and it's done? Right? It, this goes this goes back to the Kodak Brownie, right? We've mentioned this before, but the the Kodak Brownie was the first camera where all you did was click a button and take a photo. And it was dominant camera for 60 years. Same with Pandora, you click a button, yeah. now you have the mood for music and like really successful innovations take this kind of Steve Jobs approach to getting the job done.
1: Yeah, and I think What's interesting about that story as well is it, it, it leads to another myth that I think exists about him, which is that he's this singular individual um, that has all these ideas and gets other people to implement them. Um, where when you read about the development of a lot of these products, you see him more in the position of being a, a tremendous editor, right? So not the originator mm-hmm. of all the ideas, but the selector. Oh, I can see how that's going to work with that. And if we bring them together in a certain way and position them in a certain way, the market will get really excited and customers will flock to it. Um, And he was very reliant on brilliant people on his teams to come up with those ideas and to explore a lot of things. One of the things that was very surprising to me um, about this iPhone book is the way it described multiple teams off on their own talking to him once a month, once every two months, sometimes once every three months, just exploring how they might solve various problems. Um, And he would come in and give them guidance about, you know, what they need to fix and what the problems really were and give them precise inputs. But he wasn't hovering over them every single day, being like, I'm the person who knows everything and you don't know anything, even though sometimes he was rumored to have said things like that. and, and I think that that's often overlooked when people think about great leaders and visionaries is they think that they they are the originators of everything, where he was very clearly had a lot of people doing a lot of things in a lot of different spaces and went around choosing what was going to work for the customer.
0: Yeah, and he famously said uh, he was as proud of the things that he said no to as well as mm-hmm. what he said yes to. And I think that is a good summary of what you just said, which is editing is creating, he was an mm-hmm. editor. And there was a lot of output, you know, as as any company, any product team, you know, anybody listening to this has been on product, team, ideas are not a problem. <laughs> People have a ton of ideas, they got whiteboards of post it notes, it is knowing which one of those ideas should be prioritized, it is it is a, a prioritization, which is an editing game, focus, right. whatever you want to call it to really get at the core problem that people struggle with. And, and just identifying that problem is, is hard. How do you know what the problem really is? Now, Steve Jobs did have a really good instinct at that kind of market research, I think along two dimensions, uh, which are really important. One is the just first and foremost, what what the job was. So mm-hmm. a good example of that is famously, when he came back to Apple, Um, He even brought uh, Bill Gates in, and unfortunately, put him at like on a 50 foot screen in the middle of this Apple meeting. And people were like, boo, it looked like, you know, so 1984, like big brother coming into the Apple meeting, because Bill Gates and Steve Jobs were obviously, you know, effectively enemies for a long time. Um, But they became friends and but more importantly, from a business standpoint, Steve Jobs recognized that, and he said this for Apple to succeed does not mean Microsoft has to fail. So what he was able to do was focus Apple really intensely on digital media, he recognized so he was very good at saying people need to get digital media jobs done in a sense. And they're going to do it on computers, everything's going to be streamed, everything's gonna be digital, whether it's audio books, TVs, movies, uh, home movies, you know, people your your media life is going digital, right? you know, I mean, he he grew up in the era, you know, a little before I did. Uh, but you know, still in the same record collection era, I mean, just <laughs> just moving a record collection was like a serious endeavor, right? just right. The, the amount of ways, you know, <laughs> and then you had to clean the records It was always staticky and sure, there's some beautiful analog tone, but like the trade off, like having every song available to you in your phone, you know, 24 hours a day is just an incredible experience. So He just, he recognized that he was very, very good at this this kind of seeing where the market was going to go. And then the other thing is, who was the customer? This is what I think, you know, now we look back, and it seems obvious, but Remember, the the technology world wasn't targeted at consumers at any point along in his career. First of all, there was no consumer computer before the Apple II. I mean, there was the Altair and I believe some other like homebrew stuff. And then there was the TRS-80 and, you know, uh, the Atari – Uh, But he really him and Steve Wozniak really pioneered and said, Oh, we're going to sell these things directly to compute consumers. We're not going to sell them to businesses. That was a that was a weird concept. (laughs) Uh, But in now we would explain it using jobs theory that he's targeting the job beneficiary, not the job executor. And you can see that that's just taken over in so many markets and will continue to take over markets like SaaS. SaaS is a great example in B2B enterprise applications. Now, you don't need an IT director or IT manager because you log into the app, right? Um, yeah. You've cut out that middleman. He, Steve Jobs famously called them orifices. Um, but that's because he wanted – people to have an experience with the technology that really helped them get jobs done. And why would I need another person there to figure out the technology for me? Shouldn't the technology right. just work?
1: Well, it's that interesting was, that, you that know, you know, mission. the idea that he was targeting job beneficiaries. Yes. And then on top of that, a different set of jobs than the B2B jobs. Right. So, and, and it, it's, it's an interesting story when you think about how he was able to make that happen. So, You know, our first computer was uh, the original Mac, and I used it to learn how to type, and to play flight flight simulator and other games, and to uh, write homework, write papers for school. And those are not the jobs that a white collar professional is trying to get done. They are, they are very different, and the reason why apple was able to do that with their pcs was because they were so easy to use i didn't have to learn how to code in order to write a paper for school i just had to like sit down in a word processor and type it was extremely easy to do so the uh what were the previous computers like any ibm computer was totally opaque to me at that age like it was such a high effort to try to use it to do any of those consumer jobs I wanted to do, I wouldn't bother. It wasn't worth it. It It'd be faster for me to write it down on a piece of paper and hand it in than to sit at a computer, uh, because of the, of having to basically code my way into any application.
0: Well, and I don't, I don't want to forget that Apple did succeed in those early days too, of the Mac, uh, with desktop publishing, you know, being Mm. able to create, uh, newspapers, newsletters, magazines, layouts, you know, in the print world, you know, Apple was really dominant for a long time. But because they took the same approach, even in B2B, you can consumerize or whatever, you know, terminology you want to use uh, for B2B markets where you can make the end user, the job beneficiary who is using the product to publish a newspaper, for example, and make it right. really easy to publish a newspaper. Because if you looked at laying out a newspaper on a Mac versus, you know, a dedicated, I don't even know what the competitors were at the time, but some sort of, you know, (laughs) I'm sure very hard to use sophisticated, you know, um, um, layout system, but you anybody can learn to do it on a Mac, you literally just, you know, if you wanted to publish something, you could do it on a Mac. And then that led to the same kind of consumerization of, uh, you know, whether music production, you know, they bought, a uh, company that became Logic and GarageBand their foundation of like you know consumer facing and and prosumer and pro as well you know pros use those those applications to make a living right. um but even with Final Cut Final Cut um and then iMovie you know he famously got up and said like I, just, I i asked one of my colleagues to make a home movie on a mac about their vacation in 10 minutes and they couldn't do it so yeah. you know they created iMovie so this this i this continue kind of the theme is get the job done faster and more accurately. It doesn't yeah. even matter. They chose to go after, obviously, mostly consumer markets, but Next didn't. And remember, he spent years building Next for businesses and colleges, uh, but ultimately came back to the consumer
1: markets. Right. And I, I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about platforms here and getting a lot of jobs done with one platform. You know, you think about this idea that uh, apply a technology to a job that's always been trying to get done, other people haven't applied the technology to it yet, you're likely going to make it faster, more accurate. You see that happen with, you know, apply the PC to uh, newspaper publishing. People were do- publishing newspapers for hundreds of years before the PC came around, apply that technology to it. IBM hadn't done that yet, and you can make it faster and more accurate. You see that all over the internet, right? <laughs> turn turn anything into a, a web-enabled application and it makes it faster and more accurate because the internet is an application. Steve Jobs looks at things, uh, seemingly a little bit different if you look at his output where he's saying, I want to host the new technology and, and own the platform that's going to enable all these jobs to get done. And I think the iPhone's a good example of that. It's not just, I, he, he moves from making a music player, which is what the iPod was, to I'm going to have a platform that not only makes it really easy to, uh, to play music, but enables mobile computing and streaming for getting many, many, many jobs done and the, the app store, you know, was the, the true culmination of that. So it's interesting to think about how do you take this insight that there's a collection of jobs that aren't being touched by a certain technology and decide do you create the application for that or the platform to host all the 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 enabling of many people getting many jobs done? Yeah. Yeah, it's such
0: an interesting question. And, you know, this is, I think, part of the benefit of being early on in the PC revolution is he was always thinking at the operating system level, which is right. the the ultimate platform, you know, software system. That's why, you know, Apple and Microsoft, you know, and, and effectively Google, Google is really a cloud operating system, uh, certainly for search, but also just for their applications. Um that, that being in the operating system business is a good business. (laughs) When everything's going digital, because as you say, you know, jobs are just inherently going to get done faster and more accurately, uh, in in software and an operating system is, you know, essentially software. And this is the, you know, we've talked about this before, this is why software eating the world Mark Andreessen's phrase, if you look at what a job is, what is a customer trying to do, it's some goal they're trying to achieve, whether it's getting a baby to sleep through the night, you know, creating a mood with music, you know, restoring artery blood flow, you know, uh, ensuring aircraft airworthiness across business, you know, consumer and medical markets, a job to be done is a goal and it requires information inputs, it requires planning, it requires decision making, you know, assessment, monitoring, revising, you know, concluding, etc, all the the kind of categorical job steps. And that's because you're essentially trying to solve a problem or get a goal done. So computers are going to be much faster than humans. Right. They already are. And you connect them to a network of other computer computers and information sources. Uh, and you build decision making algorithms, they are just going to be really, really faster and more accurate. So if you're going to create a platform, you then want to make sure that that platform like iOS or Android or windows or Mac OS, you know, is enables developers to then quickly and accurately build applications that create value for customers.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's the, the timing of his career is, a, is an interesting thing to look at as you brought up, you know, he was early on in the computing revolution. Uh, and so he, he thought of things at the OS level and I don't know enough about the development of the Apple II to know this, uh, or the Apple I, um, but you know, was it that he thought, gee, people should be able to use this to publish text, like a newspaper, and I tried to do that with the Windows system and it was a terrible experience. So I can't create an application for Windows. I need to create a new platform that does, can it actually enables me to use a computer to get this job done a lot better. That seems to be what he did with the iPod, right? You know, I wanna listen to music out of my pocket, Doing it with the existing MP3 players is a terrible experience rather than making, you know, another version of Winamp, which was an MP3 player software element at the time. I'm going to create a new platform called the iPod. He did that with the phone, right? So he he takes big bets, right? Because he could have said, like, let's create a word processing application for Windows. But he said, that's not good enough. (laughs) Um, and, And so i do you know anything about the history of that and it's a difficult decision to make i think and i think we see it today playing out when it comes to web3 uh you know blockchain that could call it ai and other things you know is the ai good enough for you to build the application you want and make it super performant or do you have to create a new ai platform in order to utilize that technology to get some narrow job done
0: yeah i think there there's a couple things um I do know a little bit about the early days of Apple. I'm sure that we could have an Apple expert, Apple historian yeah. tell us more about it. Um, but you can even see it in just the way he talks about computing. Remember, his famous phrase was a computer was a bicycle for the mind, which is pretty amazing. Um, it's an incredible uh, metaphor uh, because you can take a bicycle anywhere right? You could just say, Oh, I'm using my bike because I'm exercising. But I don't think that's how he meant it. I think he meant it, it's just a beautiful way to explore the world. And so he was always kind of thinking like that. And you know, you've got to give a lot of credit to Steve Wozniak, who was really, you know, a hardware genius as well, who could put all the pieces together to make a computer. That wasn't Steve Jobs skill. So, um, again, there were more more people than just Steve jobs working on this, as you've said. Um, yeah. And so I think that that kind of idea that the bicycle of the mind combined with, it just has to be much better than what exists today. Because I think the iPod is an example of where the iPod had an operating system, but it was dedicated to playing music, the iPod, yeah. I mean, later on, you could watch some little videos on it. And I think you could use it as a hard drive, but it was it was a music device. So that was very, very specific. And I think where there are similarities there is he wanted to do stuff that was super high quality. Now, Mm -hmm. the way that we would explain that in Jobs to be Done is don't launch the product until it creates enough customer value. And that's really, you know, Apple's not known for being first. I mean, they did, obviously, the the Apple II and the Apple I were really kind of the first pioneering of the – the personal computer um, and the the Mac was the first kind of popular implementation of the GUI, you know. But they didn't create the GUI. The iPhone certainly wasn't the first mobile phone, even the right. first kind of you know early smartphone. I mean, the BlackBerry was a very sophisticated smart device, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I think if you if but what they do is make sure that it is going to create value. And you know, we say this to entrepreneurs, or even teams at big companies that are trying to launch products, you know, MVP is a way that like venture in the entrepreneurial world thinks which is minimum viable product. That's a horrible phrase horrible, because viable just means it works. Now, if the implication is what's the value of it, so is it a minimum valuable product like the zoom, the zoom was viable, they launched it, and they thought it was good, and people would use it. And it was an unbelievably huge market failure viability just means like it's, it's it's it works. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's valuable. Right. So minimum valuable product is what Apple always does. Now they've had their failures. They've definitely, you know, Apple's had failures. And my friends know they still have bugs and I complain about them all the time to my friends. <laughs> um, and seriously, like I did not to go off on their bugs, but they have, you know, $200 billion of cash, and they're using a huge chunk of it to buy back shares that should just be illegal until they fix all their bugs, like spend $50 billion fixing the bugs, because that makes your use of the Mac and iOS slow and less accurate. Mm-hmm. When you when you have crashes, and there was back to the quality of Steve Jobs, there was an era about about a decade, you know, after OS 10 came out and a few versions in, where it was just unbelievably stable. You never saw a crash. Remember, people would joke, at least Mac users would joke about the blue screen of death in Windows, which you saw yeah. all the time. I I have applications crash in the Mac a lot now, way yeah. more frequently than that kind of decade of, of Steve Jobs, you know, leadership.
1: Yeah. I, I think this idea that like the, the product you launch has to be really, really great. And if you can't do that, on the platforms available to you you have to create a new one there's a really interesting analogy to this in a company called dapper labs which uh operates in web3 crypto you know whatever you want to call it where they they saw the potential in the blockchain to enable some jobs to get done namely around uh connecting with athletes uh, you know, that you really like that, you know, they, they're, they're creating the analogy for the trading card industry through NFTs. So they did a partnership with the NBA. Uh, they have this product called NBA Top Shot, where it's a short video that you can buy and own. And it has interesting information about the moment that you purchased and now own as an NFT. And so they're getting this job done of uh, connect with an experience of an athletic event that you love and like know more about it and you know, you know, show the world that you were there and you know about it, et cetera. There's, there's a lot of emotional jobs in there. And they realized that the, the blockchain is in its current state. You Doing this with Ethereum was not easy enough for consumers to use it to get this job done. And so they created a new platform called Flow that developers can use to create these nfts transact them create wallets that are really really easy for consumers to use and i think it's a really interesting example uh, it's very similar to steve Jobs saying you know what the mp3 players aren't good enough for apple to create a piece of soft to, to integrate with an existing mp3 player that stinks you know i want to create a new ipod that consumers can use very well to get an old job done um so I, I think we're in a world right now where these choices are being made and uh, the, the the principle of it's not easy enough for consumers to use to get their jobs done is a good guiding principle to help you make that choice. Do you need to invest in a new platform or couldn't you use the existing ones available to you to try to get the job done better?
0: Yeah. Yeah um and you know we don't have to go down the crypto web three hole too much um right so there could be other ways you could do that kind of you know sports experience without without blockchain i mean people like to use blockchain now because a lot of developers working on whether or not it's you know going to be a good thing over the long term or not that's a different separate question but i think you're right that the anytime you see a job and it's a struggle to get it done with existing platforms And what, what I think is kind of fascinating to look at is where getting jobs done with an iPhone or an Android just using a phone is still not a great way to get the job done. We all have these phones with us, you know, all the time. And are there opportunities for new platforms that aren't based on a phone? Now, SaaS applications are, are kind of a good example of that. They they work on phones, you know, but they really exist in the cloud rather than like native applications on your phone. Right. Um, and anything you, know,
1: you do with your family are jobs that could be better done without a phone. Literally yeah. anything. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or a pet for that matter. Like, I cannot tell you the number of times where I try to do something with my kids using a phone and it turns out. Horribly because the phone becomes a center of attention instead of our relationship. Right. You know, yes. Yeah. Any yeah. activity you're trying to build a relationship with your kids. Um, that you do with them. And if the, f- if something takes away from that attention, it makes the job go worse. And there are, there's you, a great series of videos on YouTube that you can look up where it's pets irritated at their owners uh, using that's their phone funny. too much where the pets are just like trying to bite the phone, get it away, <laughs> nudging them. It, it, it gets in the way of jobs related to relationships.
0: Well, I think that's an interesting kind of final point to conclude on, uh, which is really a question that we could we could chat about a lot. But what would Steve Jobs think of the state of the iPhone and its application ecosystem and what people are using the iPhone for today? Mm -hmm. That's interesting, because if you remember, he died, um, unfortunately, you know, way too young but the iPhone was a huge success. So he was there obviously to help create the iPhone success with the Apple team. The um, what he didn't see was the emergence and dominance of social media. Right. He, he was not, I forget, what year did he die? I he was, um, uh, I can look real quick while you talk. Um, 11. Yeah. So 11. 2011, uh, which was still, before the kind of explosion of social media, I would say, uh, and and the the, its dominance. And of Mm -hmm. course, before, you know, that was 11 years ago. So it it was before we knew about all the algorithms and the problems with you know, the, the seriously big problems with algorithms and dopamine and, you know, Facebook, Creating genocide and you know spreading false information about covid and you know politics et cetera et cetera, so what would he what would he think today and i I think your your pet example and your kid's example uh are a good one because I think at his core he was very empathetic with humans and he was really in excited about the future where the computer, you know, was a bicycle for the mind, where it was the intersection of liberal arts and technology, it was not just for technology on its own. And, Mm -hmm. you know, had this very hopeful vision of making a dent in the universe, you know, as you said, that would make the universe a better place. And it's interesting to see what's happening today in the world and our expectations about where we should be now, you know, based on all this incredible technology, you know, that we all have in the palm of our hands, you know, all day long. Mm -hmm. And what's going right. And what is not going right. And what
1: can we do to fix it? And I, I, I I very much agree with that. And one final anecdote, uh, I got an Apple watch a few months ago uh, because it made it easier to communicate with my family when I was holding both my kids' hands crossing the streets, right? Yeah. i reach into my phone and, and pull it out. But lately, I found myself in my head when I put it on in the morning thinking, oh, got to put on my tether, my, my yeah. tether to the technosphere, which is just like going to be monitoring me and keeping me connected to people all the time and giving me no peace. It vibrates all the time. I've limited a bunch of notifications. And that's it's not only not getting some jobs done, it must be getting in the way of some jobs for me to meet, for me to have that subconscious thought. You know, I didn't think too hard about it. Just like I started calling it a tether and I don't know why.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I've had a different perspective on it too. Um, I, I definitely understand that. I've had an Apple Watch for a while. Uh, but one of the things I like about the Apple Watch is I don't have to pick up my phone. Yes, like that I is can nice. And you know, both of us are parents, like a lot of people. And so, you you know, you just, you do have to be connected you know, you have two kids, I have four, there's just, there's logistics and, you know, mm-hmm. you're always on parenting duty. It's a 24 hours yeah. a day, seven day a week job. So some of it is, is liberating. Like it does tether you, but at the same time, I don't have to worry, am I out somewhere and I'm not looking at my phone and is something happened to my kids? Right. You know, the, we've had, we've had to take them to the emergency room more than once. <laughs> right. So there's a, there's a, there is a, that's a great example of where, the watch is obviously a new platform and what can things like the watch evolve into what is yeah. coming next that's going to help us get jobs done that ultimately get back to connecting with other humans in really a positive way that's the right. goal that's the ultimate job and you know we got to do a lot these days to you know make money and get through life and uh, stay healthy and, you know, all the things that ultimately lead to meaningful connection with other humans. And it's a good yeah. question, Are phones and technologies, these platforms now making us less connected as humans and making the world, you know, suboptimal? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and to go question. back
1: to your original question of how would you emulate Steve Jobs, I, I think we're coming to an answer that you would be looking for the next platform that can get these other jobs done much better than the ones he created. Yep,
0: I think that's a great place to end. Well, thanks for listening. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast. If you want to learn more about Jobs to be Done innovation methods, visit us at thrv.com.